0: We're here today with Sue Ann Cavall-Connolly. She is a pediatrician for the past 30 years. She serves as the director of pediatric clinical quality for the Long Island Federally Qualified Health Centers in Nassau County. She sits on several American Academy Pediatric Councils and is an avid triathlete and the mother of three adult sons and the author of the brand new book, Parenting Through Puberty, Mood Swings, Acne, and Growing Pains. And she's here today to talk to us about her experience having short, impactful conversations with teenagers as their pediatrician and talking to them about those difficult topics that parents often have trouble getting through to teenagers about vaping, sex, drugs, alcohol, risk behaviors, all that stuff. And she has so much experience diving deep and getting teenagers to open up about this stuff. Really interested to talk to her about how to do that. And then once you do get them talking, what you can say to make an impact without making them feel like you're judging them. Suanne, thank you so much for making the time to be here. Really, really excited to dive into this talk today.
1: It's great to be here, Andy. And thank you so much for inviting me to spend this time with you. I'm very excited about what we're going to talk about today.
0: You have this book, Parenting Through Puberty, and you talk about kind of your experiences as a pediatrician and how that has influenced kind of your philosophy of how to deal with teenagers. And, uh, you know, one of the right. chapters is on like the talk that pediatricians right. have kind of the first right. time that the parent kind of leaves the room and it's the the one on one with the adolescent. And so thirty years of talking to teenagers and having to in you know in, in a very short period of time be able to get through with them about some of these really critical issues, you know, the sex and the drugs and the the stuff that parents like don't know how to talk to teenagers about. So I'm super excited to talk to you about kind of how to do that, and what you've learned works during those types of conversations. But so, I guess to start, like, what was it that inspired you to say, "Hey, I have kind of all this stuff, and I need to like write it down and put it into a, a book"?
1: Well, the the whole idea of writing this book came from a period of my life many, many years ago. I have three sons; they're all grown now, and when my first boy was a baby and first crawling and starting to walk. You know, we started to go to the park. I started to hang out at the park with him, which, you know, always loved being outdoors. And while I sat at the park, I would marvel because usually I would, you know, sometimes we would befriend other people, but sometimes we would just sit there by ourselves and I would just sort of listen. And I would hear all the moms talking and I would be, very, very kind of amazed at the conversations, which always seemed to be about whose child did what better. It was all about one-upmanship. Ah, yeah, so, yeah.
0: Or first, or who was who the earliest one to start this? or right, But it was right. always
1: a one-upmanship type of conversation. Ah, so I'd listen and just sort of, you know, kind of chuckle to myself. Then I go to my office, get into the room with possibly the same person from the park (laughs) closed the door and all it was about were the worries, the worries that they had, what Mm. concerned them. It was never about telling me that their child was the best. It was all about what they were scared about, what they needed to have more clarification on. Should they worry? Is this really a big deal? Isn't it a big deal? I don't think my child's first. Is that okay? And Uh, I really was, I think, very affected by that about, you know, what we say, you know, when we have our happy face on and what we say behind closed doors to someone that we know has the expertise to guide us. And I sort of held that in my heart all these years, thinking that it would be great to write about the worries that parents have Mm -hmm. and their kids And so this book really centers tremendously around the worries that I know parents and their adolescents have and trying to address those issues along with all of the other sort of layers of things that I'm trying to accomplish in the book.
0: Sure. And, you know, it starts out, the first kind of part of the book is really just about like how... The body is changing and you go through the five stages of puberty for male versus females. And it's fascinating. And it's like it strikes me that as I read it, I realized that, you know, other parenting books that talk about teenagers don't covered this at all like they don't really talk at all about the body and there's like so much going on when you read this book it, it, it kind of brings you back to when you were going through all this and really oh, you know i guess i guess that was pretty traumatic and like and now that i think about that like i guess that i guess that was pretty hard and and these kind of things that we now have had to figure out and they're maybe not as hard for us anymore because we've now been doing them for 30 years or whatever but uh, when you're a teenager and it's the first time having to deal with it and you don't understand what's happening to your body. Right. So I I thought this was so cool. And I always try to think about how you know when it's time to do something, because I think it's so easy to just let it it go and never talk about it or never do it unless you kind of set yourself a little tripwire or say, hey, when I see this happen... Then I'll know it's time to, even if it's like when my kid turns 10 years old, I'll know it's time to start talking about X or whatever, right? right? So part of what I was trying to find in your book was those times, you know, like, I guess if you have a teenager, you know, how do you know when it's time to start talking about how their body is changing?
1: So those markers, I think that's a great way of putting it, having little markers for when it's time because... It's quite interesting that parents often get it wrong.
0: Uh.
1: <laughs> like, for instance, I talk about in the book how when a girl starts to change and the mother notices that the girl is starting to develop, she immediately wants to talk about, you know, let's talk about when you get your period. <laughs> and, mm. and the period comes years after the beginning of development. So the first change in in girls from a physical standpoint that matters towards getting your period is breast development. And it's generally from the time breast development starts, which is called breast budding, and it's really just like a knot under the nipple, sort of like a, a firm node that you feel. From the time that happens to the period is about two years on average. But I find a lot of moms, as soon as they see anything's happening, they want to start talking about it. Well, their kids, they might be eight years old, eight and a half years old, getting their period quite normally at 10 or 10 and a half, and their moms want to talk to them. There isn't an eight-year-old around who wants to talk about this or understands this. So, you know, that's kind of a funny thing. So, one of the markers I think parents could use that is at least helpful in terms of maybe not talking about everything but talking about body changes and what's happening is your foot size i think Uh, most parents can relate to that there is a time when the shoe size in boys and girls changes much more drastically than any other time because quite amazingly we grow from the outside in we grow from our feet and hands back into the core. And the core is the last to grow in our growth spurt. Sure, right, So okay. some parents, if their child is a pianist, plays an instrument, they would also notice that their span on the keyboard is different. But that's not the common thing that parents would see. Cause
0: well, because you're buying the shoes, so you... Uh... You're buying
1: the shoes. Not everybody's <laughs> playing the piano, right? Right. So parents notice that because... For boys and girls, that growth velocity is really the big part of puberty. They are going to be shooting up now. That's that part that everybody notices. The kids just start like becoming ginormous, right? Everything starts changing. So that heralds the beginning of it. And it's, you know, it's a good six months before things really get going. So you could start to have that conversation. When the shoe size changes, you could start talking about how the body is changing, how it's going to be changing more. You may have noticed that it did change already because it is different for boys and girls. So I can't give a cookie cutter answer, but the shoe size changing in both boys and girls is the beginning of the growth spurt. So I think that's a great time if you wanted to have like a marker, this would be a good time to talk about Puberty. What is puberty? What's going to be happening? What's going to be happening to your body? What's going to be happening to your mind? And really getting excited about it. Some kids may not be interested, but I think that's a great time.
0: I feel like I kind of learned about all this in fifth grade. I was like, what I didn't even know this existed. So I wonder if kids today would have the same experience as me because I didn't have the internet, you know, like I was able to get all the way to fifth grade and not have been exposed to these things. I just in terms of being real with what kids are exposed to today, I wonder if they would have the same experience. And I wonder if you need to be more proactive and engage with kids or kind of Prepare them a little or test kind of where they're at or what they know about or or how do you approach that when they're younger?
1: I think that's another great kind of Dilemma and I think the answer to that is you really have to know your own child And I think Hmm. it really pays to ask your child and to ask them in a way the best way that you can that allows them to answer honestly so not to come at them You know going down their throat with let's have this puberty talk some kids may love that and some kids really might really shriek away from that and absolutely not want to speak about it or want to engage in that in that manner i think that when you approach kids when you do it in a very open honest and non-confrontational you really allow the child to make the decision you really get a lot more bang for your buck. So I think it's a great point to ask the question, should parents be proactive? And I think the basic answer is yes. But I think the way you ask the child is very important. For instance, rather than insisting on having the talk, using a technique adapted from like motivational interviewing, you ask permission you ask permission.
0: What would that look like then? Uh, I mean, you would kind of wait for a time when you're alone and like a little private moment or like in the car or something like that. Exactly. So what could you say to kind of like test the waters and, and use that little motivational interviewing kind of approach there?
1: I think what I would do is you're just having a quiet time. The car is a great place because you're you know, nobody's really looking at each other. You sort of have a little separation while you're still very intimate and that makes everybody yeah, a little yeah. less
0: nervous. Yeah, you don't feel like you're being grilled as much or something. Like yeah, you're, you're not on the sitting spot.
1: not sitting at the kitchen table with you attacking me. Yeah, um, right? right? You haven't like jumped on my bed and you're you're there and I can't get rid of you. But we're just in the car, we're driving somewhere. And you would basically ask a question. You would say, you know I've noticed that you've started to change, that mm. your your body has started to change. I think you're starting to go into puberty. I, I'm not sure, but from what I know, your foot size is, is bigger. And Well, the point is that I would like to know if you would be willing or... Would you like to have a conversation with me about the changes that are going on in your body and that are going to be coming? Because there's lots of things we could talk about. Is that something you'd like to talk to me about? And if the child says, sure, then great, then you can go for it. And if yeah. the child says, oh, God, no, I don't want to talk <laughs> to you about that, then really, then you, you table it for now. And you say, sure, that's no problem. Like, you know, we don't have to talk about it now. Maybe another time. Would it be okay if I asked you at another time if you want to talk about it? Hopefully they say yes. If they say, don't ever ask me again, that would be terrible. But
0: But so then would you respect that if they did say, don't ever ask me again, you probably have to kind of. (laughs) <laughs> At some point, you know, overrule that if there's right. a, yeah. Right, a You know, situation. you'd come
1: back maybe a couple of months later and you maybe you would say, you know, I know you said never to ask you again, but... All right,
0: I know. <laughs>
1: but could I ask you again? Would that be all right? <laughs> I think when you ask permission, I have found that motivational interviewing is a game changer yeah. in terms of the response both from the kids and their parents. When you ask permission from someone, My goodness, you just level the playing field. You become a facilitator. You become a partner in the conversation. It changes the dynamics of the conversation. It is so incredible how much more you can engage with someone, not just the kids, but their parents as well, when you do it from that perspective. And I love that technique. I'm still really a student of that technique. I'm really learning how to use it properly, but the American Academy of Pediatrics talk about the evidence-based science behind using MI for things like discussing obesity and trying to get families to engage in change, positive change, also in terms of discussing substance use and so on. It's been very, very useful. And I've just used it in a lot of other engagements to see if that opens the door any better. And I just find it's incredible. I find people... You know, kids and parents alike are sort of basically got their head down, you know, half in their phone, half with me. And then I ask this question. And just the fact that I'm asking this question, they like perk up and they look right at me and I have their full attention. And it's unusual for anybody to say, nah, I don't want to talk about that. I mean, usually the kids, if I'm alone with them. Or the parents, if we're talking as a group, say, you know, okay, that's
0: yeah, fine. Yeah, yeah, right. It's almost, it's a rite of passage. It's like, wow, my parent is like starting to see me as more of an adult now and wants to talk to me in a deeper way. Or
1: on the same level, they're not talking at me. They're not, not talking talk- down to me down anymore. Me.
0: They want to kind of like welcome me into the club a little bit. Yeah, uh, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So I thought this was really cool that you talked about motivational interviewing so much in the book, because, you know, like you say, I mean, it's the pretty much the go to for therapists, especially when you have a short, a short amount of time to get through to somebody about kind of risk behaviors and stuff like that. As a researcher, we do alcohol interventions here in our lab. So we've done a lot of group based motivational interviewing and that kind of thing. And it's really effective. So I love this uh, summary that you had on page 118 of your book, which was a motivational interviewing kind of checklist. The classic book on this Grolnick and Miller's motivational interviewing book is like 500 pages long. So you got it down to one page (laughs) here, which is is impressive. Uh, You got open-ended questions, affirmation, reflection, and summaries. Could you walk us through kind of an example of how you would use this with a teenager in, in this example in the book is about marijuana use and Correct. you're kind of like trying to prod the teenager about that. How would that look?
1: So I would say to the teenager, you know, is it okay if we talk about, you know, the use of different substances that kids get into? The teenager would say, sure, go ahead. And I would say to the teenager, so Charlie, can you tell me a little bit about how you and your friends you know what they liked what you like to do together and he would start to discuss things and maybe he would talk about his experiences and i might say so in having fun with your friends charlie do you get involved in you know smoking cigarettes do you get involved in smoking substances other than tobacco like marijuana and he answers me and says yes i mean yeah when i hang out with my friends they like to smoke weed but i really don't like it so i i really don't get into that but my friends do sure so that's my open-ended questions to ask him some things about what he does and he tells me that and i say to him as an affirmation well charlie i see that you know you spend time with your friends and a lot of people are smoking around you and i can imagine that that must be kind of tough on you sometimes to sit there and and not be smoking and i i think that that shows a lot of maturity on your part to be able to mm-hmm. do that do you think that you'll be able to continue the relationship this way so that's basically an affirmation from me that he's doing a good job i i understand what's going on i understand that he's you know, possibly in a bad place a little bit with this. But what I've yeah, neglected yeah. to do with him is I've neglected to say something. Wow, that is awesome that you're able to sit there and not smoke.
0: Right, right. Yeah, you did it in a very specific way, saying, wow, that's very mature.
1: But I didn't I didn't really go over the top with, wow, that's right. okay. Why? Because in MI... You're not supposed to be the leader of the conversation. So it's not about me Mm. having a higher level than you and I'm giving you my affirmation that you're doing such a good job. I'm on the same level as as you because once you – bring it to that escalated level. Now again, you're not the facilitator, you're not the partner in this conversation. You are the parents, that, you know
0: And you're not impartial anymore. You're yeah, not really impartial anymore. You've introduced anymore. a judgment by kinda of saying, good job.
1: Right. So you're supposed to stay away from that. And then in terms of the reflection, you know, Charlie may go on and talk a little bit about, well, you know, I think I can continue to Uh, stay away from weed. I don't really want to do it. I like my friends. They seem to respect me. I respect them. Everything's working out. So I, I think it's going to be okay. And at that point, my reflection might be, well, you know, I, I really do see this as, you know, an interesting situation that you have with your friends and you have certain Things that you feel strongly about, they have things they feel strongly about. Somehow, right now, I can see that the whole situation is working for you. I can see that going forward. I think you, again, show a lot of maturity and being able to say, you know, I want to stick to my guns. And I hope that you're able to do that. And that would be kind of my reflection of what he's doing and how things are going. And then, basically, at the end of our conversation, I would summarize, you know, everything we've spoken about, you know. So, you know, I'm really glad we had this talk, Charlie. I'm really glad you opened up with me. I'm really glad that you were able to share with me Mm -hmm. your relationship with your friends and some of the dilemmas that you have. And I see that you really are really developing in, you know, a very good way. I think you're doing very well in all of the things you're trying to accomplish as an adolescent. I definitely see that, you know, going forward, there may be some challenges for you, but I applaud all the things you're doing and I hope that you'll be able to come back and talk to me, you know, with anything that comes up that I might be able to help you with. But I think that, you know, from what I understand, you know, you're doing a very good job in keeping yourself healthy and safe in a tough and challenging environment, you know, something like this.
0: We're here with Dr. Sue Ann Cavall Connolly and we're talking about her new book Parenting Through Puberty. Mood swings, acne, and growing pains. And we're not done yet. Here's a look at what's coming up in the second half of the show.
1: The emotion gets in the way for the parents. They they can't hold back. They can't hold back the judgment. They hear something that doesn't sound healthy yeah. and they want to go crazy. They want to just take that child and put them back put them back in the womb, <laughs> you know. Please Don't go out in the world anymore. Let me protect you. Adolescence is a wonderful time to give your children the opportunity to try so many things and to not be so afraid of them being unsuccessful because every unsuccessful opportunity is another opportunity for you to teach them something. It's a teachable moment for you. I think learning how to communicate effectively helps us in everything we do Dealing with our teens is only you know, one great avenue to use this tool. But how important is this to be able to communicate with your child during a time when communication is probably the thing that's absolutely falling apart more than anything else, right? It's how to effectively communicate. And it may seem hokey or it may seem very manipulative. I think sometimes it may have that feeling of, well, it's very contrived to
0: using a formula and right like, a formula yeah, to
1: talk yeah. but the truth is i think we use skills every day of our lives for a million different things and there are things that we are born with as a skill and there are things that we have to really hone in on and learn and i think communication skills is one of those things that yes we may be naturally relatively good communicators we can all be better we can all sure. be better Vaping is a very dangerous thing. There is a tremendous delivery of nicotine through vaping and and children think it's safe and it is not. It is not safe. And they don't know that. And it can absolutely addict them to nicotine. The problem is when you're a parent, you just get way too worried about, oh my God, if I don't wring his neck right now or never let him go out of the house or say something that I'm gonna kill him if he does this or if he doesn't get rid of those friends, I am I just have to disown him. If I don't say that, something terrible will happen. No, quite the opposite. If you say that, your team will never talk to you again.
0: Yeah, right. Want to hear the full interview? Sign up for a subscription today. You get unlimited access to all the interviews I've conducted. It's completely affordable and your subscription helps support the work we do here at Talking to Teens. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next time.